0: Good evening. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. A little sports while I before we start, today, if, you're, if you record college football plug years, a lot of upsets today, so been an interesting week in sports. So I will echo what Aaron said about the serving. Um, I would encourage you, if you can, on December 2nd, please go. Um, our family went um, most enthusiastically, going, but when we left, our least enthusiastic child asked when we could go back. So um, it's, it's a great place to go as a family. It's organized, you go in, they have coffee, water, snacks, you can take breaks. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's inside and when they tell you you're done at noon, about 11.40 they start telling you to clean up. So you cannot work past noon. So I mean, it's, it's great, right? So uh, 635 and 35 area. So I mean, it's really—I mean, it's not hard. I've wrapped more gifts probably in an hour than I have in my entire life. Um, we were standing in the lobby before we went in to get our instructions, and Erin said something about wrapping, and I said, "No, I don't wrap." And she kind of made this face. I didn't realize that's all we would be doing, but uh, they have it all cut out for you, so you don't have to worry about messing up the paper. And you know, it's—it actually is a lot of fun. You laugh a lot, and—and and the rodents, yes, it was—it was—it was fun. They show you what it should look like. Um, and if you sit strategically, you can work as a team. We had one group, Natalia was putting little wrapping together for people. All you had to do was slide the rodents in, fold it, and put tape on it. So, I mean, there were, you know, it's all how you work. You know, work smarter, not harder is what we were trying to do. Or if you don't rap, you can be a gopher and go get the rodents and bring them to the table. So it's a job for everybody. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So tonight, we're going to continue in the book of Acts, um, chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 32 and go through chapter 5, verse 11. Um, if you were here last week, you remember Scott talked about being ready, which kind of goes along with... You know the the topic of the persecuted church. I know that is really talking about overseas, but you know Scott talked a lot about. You know we need to be ready here. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. You know you will be persecuted if you are a follower of Christ. Um, and tonight we're gonna see. We're gonna talk about um, two things really: unity, and then we're gonna see how pride and deception comes in and kind of tries to disrupt that unity. Um, so tonight, the title is We Are United. Um, and the word unity, when I first saw this, the teaching schedule, I went and read the passage, and the first the part of chapter four was pretty simple. I mean, it was pretty easy to, to see that they were a very united group. Um, and unity is something I'm very passionate about. The last few years, I've done a lot of reading on unity, um, it's actually one of the driving forces that led our family to partner with some friends to, to start this ministry that we call All In Sports Outreach. Was In, in our hometown in Alabama, is a desperate need of unity. It was trying to find a way to bring people together. So unity is something I'm very passionate about, um, so bear with me um, on that. because I probably spent a lot of time on that tonight, but I just think we live in a culture where there's a lot more division than unity. I don't have to tell you that. Um, it's pretty simple to see, and the sad part to me is that we see it more in the church. You know, I think we see a divided church here in America, when in reality we need to see more of a united church. So um, that's what we're going to see, a great example tonight of a united church. And I was preparing for this, I I went back to what we call the, the great commandment, and John 13, 34 and 35 he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another so if you're a true follower of Christ for true followers of Christ we'll be known for our love and when we love one another we're united we don't see the 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 division when there's love and I'm one of those that more and more I I don't like to say I'm judgmental, but I start questioning if someone is really a follower of Christ based on their love or lack of love. That's a struggle I deal with a lot today, is when I see people that profess to be a believer, but I see what comes out of their mouth, I see their actions, and it's like that did not line up with the Bible I'm reading or what Jesus said in the greatest commandments to love one another. We'll be known by our love. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So... Y'all know, if you've been here before when I've taught, I love quotes. So a quote that I found um, that really sets up this message perfectly in my mind was from D.L. Moody. He says, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Think about that. Never seen the Spirit of God work where the Lord's people were divided. Not where a country is divided, but the church is divided. So we've talked a lot about in Acts, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about how the Holy Spirit works, and if we um, are filled with the Holy Spirit, the power that we have. So if we want to see God work among us individually and as a group, it's it's together. So I'm going to read um, Acts 4, 32 through 37 to start us off. Now the full number of those who believed Verse 32, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it jumps out at you. They were, one, they were of one heart and one soul. This is the people we talked about in Acts 2, where it said thousands of people were saved. They were of one heart and one soul. I'll read chapter uh, 2, 44 through 46, which, which Anthony taught on a couple weeks ago. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So we see over and over the early church was together, one heart, one soul. And to me, that is very convicting but very powerful to think about that. Um, In the end of 32, it says that um, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They didn't claim that anything belonged to him. They were living open-handed lives, right, and how we need that. And it it wasn't a requirement. They were doing it because of the way the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. They chose to live that way together. We see the word together together. Um, one heart, one soul, a lot in the book of Acts. Verse 33, it talks about the gospel was continued to be proclaimed with great boldness. It says, with great power, the apostles were given their testimony. They weren't being obnoxious about it. I mean, Jesus wasn't obnoxious about it. They were just being bold. We talked about um, in Acts 2 that we have access to that same power of the Holy Spirit. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us, and then allow the Holy Spirit to speak to the people we're talking to, that's when that great power comes in. And that's what they're talking about. They didn't stop c- proclaiming the gospel with boldness. It, it, If you go back to verse 29, it's kind of what they prayed for. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they prayed for that, and here we see they're continuing to to do that. Um, 34 and 35, it talks about how they distributed what they had together to the needs of those in the body. It says they brought their money to the apostles' feet to meet the needs. I mean, because we we saw in Acts 2, there were several thousand people. There's no way that you can know every need, so they were trusting the apostles to kind of have the pulse of the church and to know the church so people were selling things and giving generously laying it at the apostles feet so think about a church that's growing at the pace that the early church was growing at and the needs that could have possibly possibly been and these people because of their one heart one soul their boldness they were selling stuff that was valuable to them because they wanted to because they loved each other and they loved God that much that they were selling their possessions, giving it to the church, and the church was meeting needs, which I believe, um, you know, was probably a lot of needs. When you get anywhere, you get a thousand people together. There's a lot of needs. And again, it wasn't a requirement. Um, it was more the spirit of their giving. It wasn't, you know, I have heard and I read different um, commentaries or sermons on this, and, and people talk about that that's a system of giving that we need. You know, you must sell everything and give to the poor. No, I think this is the spirit of the giving. You know, they were giving with generous hearts. It's not that every one of us has to leave here and go put a for sale sign in our front yard and bring the money to the church tomorrow. That's not what we're talking about. It's how, what's the spirit in our giving? Are we meeting the needs of others? Or are we waiting on somebody else to do it? This example was they saw a need, it was met. Verse 36 and 37, we get an an example of what was talked about in 32 through 35. Um, Barnabas was introduced here, and and we'll see as we continue through the book of Acts, you'll see Barnabas come up a lot. He had a great influence, a great ministry um, for the gospel, but um, he was nicknamed the son of of encouragement, and we're going to, I mean, you'll see why. He was a very generous man. He illustrated everything that we talked about already in 32 through 35. He illustrated it. He says he sold his land and laid it at the apostles' feet, all of it. He didn't keep anything. He didn't give 10%, 100%. He laid it at the apostles' feet. What an example of encouragement of someone living Um, A life that just sold out for God, just generous um, heart, generous living. So I think in this first section, um, before we get into chapter 5, I got to think about it. I got to think to myself, at least, it's it's an example of a spirit-filled life, or if you want to look at a church, a spirit-filled church. If you're living a spirit-filled life, you're experiencing unity. You're bold in your faith, and you're generous. So is that true of me? Is it true of you? Are you living that daily, that spirit-filled life? Are you experiencing unity in the body? Are you bold? Are you generous? Is that true of our class? Or the church as a whole? Not just Prestonwood. You know, I personally think we need more um, people that have that passion and that fire to daily live that spirit-filled life. Because that's what That's what's going to bring us together. I just think if we lived every day with a heavenly focus, um, like the early church, we would experience the unity that all of us desire. All of us talk about every day, whether it's at work or home or you read online, we're all sick and tired of the division, right? Everybody wants unity. To get it, if we have a heavenly focus every day, we're not going to care whether somebody says Merry Christmas to us or not. We're not going to care if somebody stands or kneels for the national anthem. That's, it's not going to matter, right? We're not going to care if somebody's conservative or liberal. We're going to care about if they know Jesus. That's what the early church is teaching us. It's that all this matters. We have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. If we seek that every day, we're going to live with boldness. And all this other stuff that divides us, it doesn't matter. We're focused on Jesus, and we're po- we're focused on loving people as Jesus told us to love them. And we'll ex- we'll experience that unity and boldness, and we'll see people live generously. And the result is multiplication. Amen. It's multiplication. That's what that's what that's what we're called to do, is to go and multiply. And this is how we get there. So now we're going to kind of contrast that a little bit. Um. In the second part of the lesson, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see what happens when um, we see deception and sin. We'll see some hypocrisy. Um, What is hypocrisy? Um, It's acting like something you're not, someone you're not, fake, wearing a mask. Um, It can be said that hypocrisy is intentional deception. Um, As Christians, it could be acting more spiritual than we are. When I thought about that, that kind of hurts a little bit, right? I think we've all been through times in life when we want to appear more spiritual than we are. We want to appear more uh, perfect than we are. We want to live a lifestyle that we can't afford, right? And it's all—it's just a facade, and that's what we're going to see. And I was uh, researching. For this part of the lesson, I, I read about a pastor of a church that was growing, and they needed to build a new sanctuary. They didn't have a lot of money, so it had to be very modest, and they had to get very creative. So he meets with the architect. He tells the architect, hey, we don't have a lot of money, so let's, let's make the worship center, let's make it simple. But the entryway, it needs to look very good. It needs to be very impressive, And the architect says, absolutely not. The church needs to be truthful. The church stands for truth and honesty. The church I design, this is what the architect tells the pastor, will not have a facade because that's what you want. The building should tell the truth, not pretend to be what it isn't. And I thought about in my own life, does my life tell the truth? Or do I live, do I have a facade do I appear to be somebody I'm not? And that's true in our culture, right? To be accepted, you know, we feel like we got to be somebody that we're not. Social media is the easiest way to live a facade. You know, I'm guilty. You post pictures of your family. I don't ever see anybody on social media that says, I have a horrible day. Um, I had nothing to eat. Um, I just, I, I hate my job. I hate my life. You don't ever read that. Everything is... Roses and daffodils, right? You know? (laughs) Everything's perfect if you log on social, at least the social media sites I go to. I don't see a lot of people that are having a bad life. Um, So that's what we see in 5, 1 through 11. We see Ananias and Sapphira. We see them put on a facade or a front to attempt to hide some sin. Um, What was that? Yeah, and they end up dying, yes. So I'm going to read 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church upon all who heard these things. So we see deliberate deception. Intentional sin. They lied. They attempted to be like Barnabas. Barnabas sold everything, gave it all to the church. They saw that, and I can imagine that people complimented Barnabas for that. So maybe there was some jealousy, but they were deceived into, um, by Satan to lie and to still give, it says they gave, and they probably gave a lot. They sold land, but they didn't. But it was her heart, right? And that's the that's the issue. And and Peter confronted them and said that Satan filled your heart to lie. You've lied against God. Ananias died. That doesn't say that, that doesn't mean every time we we lie or we sin we're going to get struck down. But I think they're sending a message to the early church the seriousness of disrupting the unity of the church. What happens when sin comes in the church, right? And then his wife's confronted because they did it together, and she dies. So I think here, um, there's three things about sin. It's motivated by Satan. Peter says, Satan filled your heart with a lie. Pride. Pride. You know, Jesus taught us how to give, to give generously and not to make a big scene about it, you know, but just give with a generous heart. And they didn't. And then they sinned against the church and against God. That's serious. And I think it's also a reminder that um, if Satan can't destroy us from the outside, he can come inside the church and start deceiving fellow church members. Into sin. And I think that's a great reminder here that um, Satan will come inside the church to try to um, use lies and to take us down. I mean Jesus said in John 8:44, he says, Satan is a liar and a murderer. Very clearly. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes, another quote. He says, Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Think about every sin. Every sin begins with a lie. A lie from Satan, or maybe a lie from a family member, maybe a lie from a coworker, but it begins with a lie. I'm going to read that again. A sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. So it's a great warning to us all, just the power of Satan, that he is the great deceiver. He is a liar. Um, and when I read this, I found that. Verse eleven was a tough place to end, right? Because we go from unity and being bold and generous. We have chapter five and it's deception and lying, and two people die. You know, in chapter verse eleven, he says great fear came upon the church. So, I went ahead and kind of started looking ahead and go, okay, so what? What? That's kind of a downer, right? But I think we're going to see in the next few lessons that um, it didn't stop the church from moving forward, right? God got got their attention through this and um, and the church does move forward. So what are the takeaways? Um, I think at least for me personally, this is the lesson for me um, I need guardrails in my life to protect me from deception because I think we all I know I can be easily deceived, right especially when things are going well um, so we need. Um, guardrails to protect us from that deception that also will help us in pursuing that spirit-filled life every day. So here are three guardrails um, that I wrote down, and you've heard them a hundred times or more, but it's just personal time with God. If we're consistently personal time with God, word and prayer, that's a guardrail that's going to keep us on the right path. And I know for me, um, when I'm experiencing a rich time with God on a consistent basis, my life is so much smoother. Just the way I interact with people, um, I'm even better rested. Even if I sacrifice a little sleep on the front end, I I still have more energy. Um, I think I'm a better employee at work. Um, because of that, I, I hope I'm a better husband, a better dad. Um, but that's just very important. And I can tell um, personally the effect of when I'm not. It's just, it's, um, it's, very, it's very important. The second guardrail against deception is accountability. you got to have accountability in your life. If you don't have someone or a group of people that hold you accountable, you're set up for failure. It's plain and simple. We can't do it alone. Um, I got a couple guys that will text me. Um, Not every day, but we do text back and forth, and sometimes it's, hey, what did you read in your Bible this morning? Um, Or what's God teaching you today? Or something like that. You've got to have that. Or somebody that's going to say, hey, I I noticed that you're not yourself, or I noticed you're doing this. You need that in your life. Um, One of my favorite sports guys to listen to. It's a podcast. Um, it's a guy that left ESPN. He felt God called him to some type of ministry. So he started this podcast to tell stories of faith in sports. Releases them twice a week. And every guest, I think they've done 50 episodes now, he asked he asked them one question at the very end. What's God teaching you today? And I tell you, when I listen to that, driving to work or, or coming home, and I, I, I love to... I mean, the stories are great. And some of them are like an hour-long testimony. And they're, and they're great stories. But I live for that last question, because it's nothing better to me than hearing what God's teaching somebody else. And it makes me think, if somebody comes up to me today and says, what's God teaching me today? Am I going to go, well, patience, um, you know, just the church answers, you know, or is there something that God is really teaching me today? Um, And for me, I mean, this whole unity thing is what God's really been dealing with me on a lot. The last, it's been a couple year process. But I just, I think that's what happens when we have people that hold us accountable. Is we know we're going to be asked. And the last thing, the last guardrail against deception is just keeping others first. Not being selfish. The Bible's very clear about that. Multiple, multiple places. So if we want to experience unity in the body of Christ, we got to practice those three things. Personal time with God, accountability, others first. It helps us guard against deception. It helps us live the spirit-filled life. If we want to even share our faith with more boldness, these three things. If you're doing these three things, you're going to be bold because you have the power of the Holy Spirit and you're filled up every day. So it's, it's the key to everything, not just unity. All parts of the Christian walk, if we're doing these three things, we will experience that abundant life. And another thing is when we're living like this, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're experiencing unity, guess what? Among the body, sin is more easily exposed. So those that aren't living that way, they're exposed and are held accountable. So as a body, if we're all seeking to live like this, a spirit-filled life, then those around us that aren't get uncomfortable. So I think it's, I mean, plain and simple for me, it's time to stop playing Christian. It's time to stop coming to church, just to check the box. Um, I think Scott said it last week, um, talking about we need to be Luke 9, 23, followers of Christ. Um, And that's what what this is talking about. And it it goes back to that unity produces multiplication. So I'll close with um, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Saying, let's just all this week, start tonight, tomorrow, try to implement those guardrails in your life and to seek unity in the body Let's focus on what unites us, that's Jesus, not what's divide us. Because if we focus on what divides us, we'll stay very busy because there's a lot. But if we focus on the one thing that unites us and that's Jesus, it just we're just a more effective body. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Excuse me. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it still still speaks to us today. And God, I I thank you for the reminder of the power of unity, the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the reminder of the power of sin. And God, I pray that each one of us would leave here implementing, putting up those guardrails against deception. God, that we would spend personal time with you on a consistent basis. We would be accountable to not only you, but to others. We would hold others accountable. And God, that if we're not, that we would do so starting now. And God, that we would um, see others first. We would meet, we see a need, we meet a need. God, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit daily, that we could experience this. We would live united as, as a body, as a class. We would be bold in our faith. God, we would give generously of our time and our resources. God, go with us now. Protect us as we leave here. All those who pray in your name, amen.